The New Testament reading is taken from Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and round the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Round the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, and before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And round the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all round and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives for ever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives for ever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Good morning. It's great to be with you again. It's been a while. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that in the Scriptures we can by faith see through a door into heaven. Help us by your Spirit this morning to see with the eyes of faith our world as it really is and to see you in your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Here's a question for you. When our world is as troubled as it is, and when sometimes our own lives are as troubled as they are, how can we live lives of celebration and joy? Well, we can and must celebrate whatever's going on around us because God is on the throne of heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is bringing in his kingdom, and we are a part of what he's doing. And that's what the book of Revelation makes so clear. 
My title this morning is Inside the Control Room. This is the first in a short series in uh, the book of Revelation, chapters 4 to 7. And our passage this morning is Revelation chapter 4. Stephen read that for us just now. And if you've got a Bible to hand, uh, please have that uh, open in front of you at that chapter, Revelation chapter 4. That'll be a great help. But it's hard to make proper sense of Revelation 4 in isolation from what's around it. So we need to look at what's before and after chapter 4 as well. Revelation is an extraordinary and powerful book. It's a highly structured book full of picture language and symbolic numbers, especially the number 7. 7 stands for completeness or the whole of something or the essence of a thing. The thing as it really is. In fact, the whole book of Revelation is a series of sevenfold visions. So what's going on in these early chapters of Revelation? I'll just give you two headings. First of all, the giving of the promise by the risen Jesus. This is the first sevenfold sequence in chapter 1, verse 9, through to chapter 3, verse 22. And in this section, Christ speaks to the whole church on earth now. Let me say that it's easy to be rather daunted by the book of Revelation, but we shouldn't be. Once we get used to it, the picture language and symbolism of Revelation communicate in a very graphic punchy and powerful way that grabs our imagination and sticks in the mind. If some of the detail passes us by, that doesn't matter too much. The point is not in the detail. It's in the big picture above all. Well, in chapters 1 to 3 is the message of the risen Christ to the whole church throughout history and to every individual local church. So that's why we still read these letters today. We see ourselves reflected in them and spoken to face to face, as it were, by the risen Jesus. The seven churches represent the whole church. It's a church as presented in Revelation that struggles. Don't we know it? Life for the universal church is tough. So what is Jesus's message? He warns, he rebukes, he urges, he encourages. And he also gives a series of promises. Put together, they make up one massive promise to the universal church. The promise of Jesus applies to all those who conquer, who overcome. That is, it applies to all those who, by their perseverance in living by faith in Christ, despite all the pressures, show that they belong to Jesus. Jesus knows the desperate struggle of the church on earth, so he reassures us with his promise. It's a promise of everlasting life. It's a promise of forgiveness and cleansing. It's a promise that we will be co-heirs with him, sharing in his glory, reigning with him, knowing him and being known by him, by name, face to face with him in the heavenly city, eternally secure, never to leave his side again. The church sins and the church suffers. But Jesus is never going to let it go. That is his promise.
So what about the next section, which includes uh, chapter four? Well, my other heading is this. So secondly, the outworking of the promise in history. This runs from chapter four through to chapter seven. And what we have here are pictures of the whole church and the whole creation on earth and in heaven until the day of judgment. What we get a sight of here is the gathering of all believers round the throne of God. But the remarkable thing is that in this section, the earthly church is clearly still continuing. We're seeing the earthly church that Jesus speaks to in the seven letters of chapters two and three, but we are also seeing the heavenly church of those who have gone before. So chapter one verse, uh, chapter four verse one says, after this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. What then does the Apostle John see through this open door into heaven? At the centre of everything is the overwhelming, majestic, awesome reality of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That vision of God is right at the heart of chapters 4 and 5. So, chapter 4 verses 2 and 3. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and round the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. So that's God the Father. And then chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, which is referring to the one Holy Spirit. It isn't saying there are seven Holy Spirits. Remember, seven refers to wholeness or in relation to God, perfection. And then just look ahead for a moment to chapter 5, verse 6, which says this, And between the throne and the four living creatures... And among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. That slain lamb, of course, is the crucified and risen Lord Jesus. So we see the Father on the throne, the Holy Spirit before the throne, and the Son beside the throne. One God in three, ruling all things. We do need to know who's in charge, don't we? Especially when it dawns on us that it's not us after all. That's even true in relation to our own government. When a few short weeks ago, the prime minister was in intensive care with the virus, and as he himself put it, things could have gone either way. There was a striking and almost palpable sense of deep anxiety right across the media, all across the political spectrum. The issue was, who's in charge here? And what's going to happen to us if the man who's supposed to be in charge is suddenly removed from the scene? What's going to become of us? And then there seemed to be an almost national sigh of relief when we heard that he was out of intensive care. 
and he may be prime minister, but in the face of all that confronts us, not least death itself, he's just a relatively powerless politician in a small island nation. How much more do we need to know who's in charge when we open our eyes to the ravages of sin and Satan and sickness and the death that rampages across our world and not just in a time of pandemic? Revelation 4 is clear. God is in charge. He is on the throne. And then around the throne are creatures and people in a series of concentric circles. So in the first circle are the representatives of God's creation. This is chapter 4 verses 6 to 8. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And round the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then in a circle round those living creatures are the representatives of the whole church, the 24 elders. 24 is 12 plus 12, of course, which maybe refers to the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, the old covenant and the new covenant people of God in heaven. Chapter 4, verse 4. Round the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And then uh, verses 9 to 11. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. I recently heard on the radio an interview with a man called Hilton Murray Philipson. He had just left hospital with the, uh, the staff giving him a guard of honour and applauding him as he departed. He'd recovered from the virus after six days in intensive care. And indeed, having been on the verge of death himself, he had not been able to attend his own father's funeral. He was asked about his time in intensive care, and in reply he said, One of the very powerful images I had was the image of Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. That just came to me. And I like to think that it was Jesus Christ coming to me and helping me in my hour of need. Two things occur to me about that account from Hilton Murray Philipson. One is that he saw Jesus calming the storm with the eyes of faith. True biblical visions communicate saving truth 
not just to our intellects, but to the depths of our souls. And that's what he needed in his extremists. And that's what we need. And that's why the Lord has given us the book of Revelation, to teach us truth through visions that go through our minds and down deep into our souls in an utterly unforgettable way. The other thing that occurs to me about Mr. Murray Phillipson's biblical and true vision of Jesus calming the storm is that what he needed to know was that the Lord he trusts is the maker of heaven and earth and everything in it and that therefore the Lord is in ultimate control of his creation. He doesn't necessarily spare us from the storm, but he is in control of it and he will rescue us from it. He can do that, in the words of Revelation 4 verse 11, for he created all things and by his will they existed and were created. And then, in a yet larger circle around those 24 elders, there are the angels. Look on again for a moment to chapter 5 verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. People used to think that the sun and all the planets orbited around the earth. Our world was at the centre. In other words, we were at the centre. But then, with the help of a bit of lateral thinking from Copernicus, we realised that in our solar system anyway, we'd got it all wrong. We are going around the sun. We are not at the centre at all. The sun is. But in fact, that's not the real revolution that our thinking needs to undergo. The truth is, one fragile newborn baby is more important than mere expanses of rock and gas and empty space, however mind-bogglingly vast they may be. The real revolution we need is the one set right in front of our eyes by Revelation chapters 4 and 5. We are not at the centre, but neither is the Son. God is. The triune living Lord, Father, Son and Holy Spirit the one who made all things, the one who rescues his people, the one who changes us from the inside. God is at the centre and the heart of all things. Everything revolves around him, his creation, his people, his angels, circle around circle around circle, all bowing before him, all worshipping him, all singing his praise. That's what we need to grasp, and not just in our intellects, but deep down in our souls. Maybe that's what the living God is reminding us of through this global pandemic. If we have the eyes to see, everything revolves around the living, loving, all-powerful Lord. If we think he's out on the wilder fringes of the universe, then we need to think again. He is at the centre of all things.
So, Revelation 4 gives us an astounding insight into the way that things really are. You won't hear this on the news. You will not hear this uh, uh, on uh, reports that you uh, read and see uh, about the chaos and the death the virus is causing around the world. But this is the real story. We're under no illusions that the earth is being ravaged by war, hunger, disease, natural disaster and death. The four horsemen have been let loose, but God is on the throne and we are safe, not from those things, but through those things now and for all eternity. What are we inclined to worry about as we face the future? for ourselves, for our families, for our church, for our nation. What if the worst happens? Remember Revelation 4. The Lord is on the throne. So underneath the inevitable waves of anxiety that wash over us, we can deep down rejoice. Realism, optimism, joy and glory. Those are the notes of the song that we sing. That is why every day can be a day of celebration. Let's bow our heads to pray. And let's join with all creation and all those who've gone before us and all the angels in the words that are being sung around the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. In Jesus' name. Amen.